0: Chapters twenty-four through twenty-six of Rosemather, a tale by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twenty-four. Results of the battle. The streets of Rockland were full of excited people when the news first reached the town of the terrible battle, which had left so many slain upon the field and desolated so many hearts both north and south rose mather was nearly frantic for will she knew was in the battle together with her two brothers and it was not probable that all three would escape unharmed eagerly she grasped the paper to see who was killed wounded or missing but neither of the three names was there and she began to hope again and found time to comfort poor susan sims whose husband was also in the fight and who had gone almost mad with the fear lest he should be killed two days passed and then there came a telegram from tom and mrs carleton who read it first gave a low moaning cry while rose who read it next uttered a piercing shriek and fell sobbing into annie's arms oh will oh will my husband was what she said while mrs carleton uttered jimmy's name and then annie knew that harm had come to him and placing rose upon the sofa she took the paper from mrs carleton's hand and read will was badly wounded lay on the field all night jimmy missing supposed to be a prisoner i am well t Carlton. poor jimmy annie whispered sadly her heart throbbing with pity for the young man who had gone back in time to meet so sad a fate never had so dark a day dawned upon rose mather as that which followed the arrival of tom's telegram but ere it's close, there came a message of hope to her will had been taken to washington where he had providentially fallen into the hands of mrs Sims, who sent the joyful news that no bones were broken and he was doing well oh annie god is so much better to me than i deserve i must love him now and i will if he will only send jimmy back rose said while annie's heart went up in a prayer of thanksgiving for mr mather's comparative safety and then went out after the poor prisoner whose destination was as yet unknown that night rose started for washington and three days after there came to annie a soiled queer-looking missive directed to miss widder annie graham at miss Martha's. the name written at the top of the letter and the superscription spreading over so much surface that had there been another word it must from necessity have been written on the other side of the letter it was from bill baker and it read as follows army of potomac and about as licked out an army as you ever seen To all it may concern, and especially Miss Annie Graham, I send you my regrets Greeton, and hopin' this will find you enjoyin' the same great blessin'. Burnside has made the thunderinest blunder, and more'n a million of our boys is dead before Fredericksburg. Mr. Mathers was about riddled through, I guess, and the corporal, well, may as well take it easy, I fit for him like a tiger till they knocked me endways and I played dead to save my life. But the corporal's a goner took prisoner with an awful cut on his neck and now what i'm going to tell you is this the night before the battle i came upon him praying like a priest kneeling in an awful mud puddle and what he said was something about heaven and annie which begging your pardon i think means you and so i asked him in case of bad luck if i should write and tell you i don't think he could have been in a very spiritual frame of mind for he told me to mind my business but i don't lay it up agin him and when them two tall lantern-jawed sons of balaam grabbed him as he was trying to skedaddle with the blood a spurtin from his neck i pitched inter em and gave em hail Columbi for a spell till they knocked me flat and i made believe dead as i was tellin you don't feel bad miss graham trust luck and keep your powder dry and mabby he'll come back some time yours to command bill baker tell the old woman i'm well but pretty well tuckered out God soften the hearts of his captors, God keep him in safety, Annie whispered, and then as Mrs. Carlton came in she passed the note to her, and tried to comfort the poor mother who, in Rosa's absence, leaned on her as on a daughter. Annie seemed very near the sorrowing woman who wept bitterly for her poor boy, and in the first hours of her sorrow she spoke out what was in her mind. I believe Jimmy loved you, Annie, and that makes you very dear to me we can mourn for him together and annie you will pray for him night and day that god will bring him back to us annie could only reply by pressing the hand which sought hers for her heart was too full to speak had jimmy been dead she would scarcely have mourned for him more deeply than she did now the country was already rife with rumours of the sufferings endured by our prisoners and death itself seemed almost preferable to months and years of privations and pain in the southern prisons sent to richmond and probably from thence further south probably to georgia this was all the intelligence they could procure from him until spring when there came news direct that he was at salisbury and there for a time the curtain dropped leaving his face shrouded in darkness while in his northern home tears were shed like rain and prayers went up to heaven from the quivering lips of a mother who was just learning to pray as she ought and in annie graham's heart there gradually crept a wish that the poor weary prisoner might know how much and how kindly she thought of him feeling at times half sorry that she had not given him some little hope as a solace for the weary hours of his prison life twenty five gettysburg rose mather had brought her husband home as soon as it was safe to move him and with the good nursing of mrs carleton and annie he grew strong enough to rejoin his regiment in may and the last which rose heard from him directly was a few words hastily written and sent off to washington just as the army of the potomac was moving on to gettysburg then came the terrible battle when the summer air was full of smoke and dust and flying splinters with clouds of torn-up earth which blinded the horror-stricken men who vainly sought for shelter behind the trees and the headstones of the graveyard where the dead must almost have heard the fierce commotion around them as wail after wail of human anguish mingled with the awful shrieks of dying horses went up to the blackened heavens and then died away in silence where the battle was the hottest and the carnage the most terrible will mather followed or rather led and when the fight had ceased he lay upon his face unconscious of the pitiless rain beating upon his head or the two savage-looking texans bending over him and turning him to the light among the list of killed the rockland chronicle of july tenth had the name of william mather while in another column designated by long lines of black was a eulogy upon the deceased who was known to have fought so bravely then every blind of the mather mansion was closed and knots of crape streamed from the door-knob and the villagers missed the roll of the carriage wheels which were wont to carry so much comfort and sunshine to the hearts of the poor soldiers and the little airy dancing creature whose bright smile and rare beauty had done quite as good service as her generous gifts lay in her darkened room never weeping never speaking except to moan so piteously oh will my darling my poor poor husband they could not comfort her for she did not seem to hear or at least to understand one word they said and the soft dark eyes had in them a wild scared look which troubled the watchers at her side and made them tremble for her safety the knots of crape were taken from the doors and the blinds were opened at last and the light of heaven let into the dreary house but there came no change to poor little rose whose white face grew so thin that tom when in september he came home to see her would scarcely have known the little sister of whose beauty he had been so proud as if the sight of him in his uniform had brought back the horror of the past she uttered a piercing shriek and hid her face for a moment in her pillows then with a sudden movement lifted her head and shedding back her tangled curls from her pale forehead she stretched her arms toward him and whispered take me tom hold me as you used to do let me be a little girl again in the old home in boston for will you know is dead and tom took her in his strong brotherly arms and laid her head against his breast and caressed and smoothed her tumbled hair and petted and loved her just as he did when she was a little child with no shadow around her like that which enfolded her now and then he spoke of will and the dark eyes fastened eagerly upon him as he told her how the very night before the battle will knelt down with him and prayed that whether he lived or died all might be well with him and rose he continued he bade me tell you in case he was killed that all was well and you must think of him as in heaven not far as some suppose but near to you with you he said and you must meet him there you must bear bravely what god chooses to send not give up like this when there is so much to be done will my darling little sister heed what poor will said will she try to rally and be a brave woman yes tom i'll try came gaspingly from the white lips and rose's voice was broken with sobs as the first tear she had shed since she heard the fatal news ran in torrents down her face tom only stayed a week but he did them a world of good, and Annie felt she had never known one half how noble a man he was until she saw how tender he was with Rose, and how kind to his mother, whose heart was aching to its very core for her youngest son. He had been removed from Salisbury to Andersonville when they last heard from him, and was dead, perhaps, by this time. Poor Jimmy! The year he had asked Tom to wait would be up before very long, but Tom would still keep faith with him annie was sacred to jimmy's memory and once when talking with her of the captive he alluded to what would probably be when jimmy came home again and annie did not turn from him now as she would once have done had such a thing been suggested god only knows how i might feel she said and by the look in her blue eyes and the tone of her voice tom knew there was no hope for him With many kisses and loving words of sympathy, he bade his sister good-bye when his leave had expired, and then in the hall stood a moment while his mother whispered something to him which made him start and turn pale as he said, Poor Will! He would have been so glad. Then, as if the news had brought Rose nearer to him and made her more the object of his special care, he went back to her a second time and wound his arms about her lovingly as he said, Poor little wounded dove! god's promises are for the widow and fatherless and he will care for you and rose guessed to what he referred but there was no answering joy upon her face and her hands were pressed upon her heart as she watched him from the window going from her just as will had gone and whispered to herself it would have been too much happiness if will had lived but now i cannot be glad twenty six course of events with a howl of despair mrs baker came rushing into the kitchen of the mather mansion one morning in november startling annie with her vehemence as she thrust into her hand a dirty half-worn envelope which she said was from bill who had been missing since august and who it now appeared was at andersonville might better be dead his mother said and then she explained that the letter she brought annie had come in one to herself received that morning from bill how he ever got it through the lines was a mystery which she did not explain nor did annie care inasmuch as it brought news direct from Jimmy. he had written to her with the pencil on the sheet of paper bill had brought him for bill baker was employed outside the prison walls and allowed many privileges which were denied to the poor wretches who crowded that swampy pen in short bill had taken the confederate oath had done some tall swearin as he wrote to annie giving as an excuse for the treasonable act that he couldn't stand the racket in that horrible place where twenty thousand human beings were crowded together in a space of twenty-five acres and part of that a marshy swamp teeming with filth and scum and hideous living things another reason too bill gave and that was pity for the corporal to whom he could occasionally take little extras and whom he would have scarcely recognized he said so worn and changed had he become from his long imprisonment i mistrusted he was there bill wrote and so when me and some other fellow travellers was safely landed in purgatory i went on an explorin tower to find him but you bet it wa'n't so easy gettin through that crowd why the camp meetin they had in the fair grounds in rockland when marm freeman buster biller hollerin was nothin to the piles of ragged dirty hungry lookin dogs some standin up some lyin down and all lookin as if they was on their last legs right on a little sandbank, and so near the dead line that i wonder he didn't get shot i found the corporal with his trousers tore to tatters and lookin like the old gal's rag-bag that hangs in the cellar way didn't he cry though when i hit him a kelp on the back and want there some tall cryin done by both of us as we sat there flat on the sand with the hot sun pourin down on us and the sweat and the tears runnin down his face as he told me all he'd suffered it made my blood bile i've had a little taste of libby and belle isle too but they can't hold a candle to this place miss graham you are the good sort kind of pious like but i'll be hanged if i don't believe you'll justify me in the thumping lies i told the corporal that day to keep his spirits up says he have you ever been to rockland since fredericksburg and then i thought in a minute of that night in the woods when he prayed about annie and says i to myself the piousest lie you ever told will be that you have been home and seen miss graham with any other triflin additions you may think best so i told him i had been hum on a furbelow as the old gal meanin my mother calls it and i seen her too says i miss graham and she talked an awful sight about you i said when you are to have seen him shiver all over as he got up closer to me and asked what did she say then i went on romancin and told him how you spent a whole evening at the old hut talking about him and how sorry you was for him and couldn't get your natural sleep for thinking of him and how when i came away you said to me on the sly william if you ever happen to meet mr carleton give him annie graham's love and tell him she means it great peter i could almost see the flesh come back to his bones and his eyes had the old look in em as he liked to have hugged me to death i'd done him a world of good he said and for some days he seemed as chipper as you please but nobody can stand a diet of raw meal in the nastiest water that ever run and says i to myself corporal will die as sure as thunder if something don't turn up and so when i got the hang of things a little and seen how the machine was worked says i i'll turn secesh though i hate em as i do pisin they was glad enough to have me being I'm a kind of carpenter and joiner, and they let me out and i went to work for the corporal i'll bet i told a hundred lies fast and last if i did one i said he was at heart secesh that he was in the rebel army and i took him prisoner at manassas which you know was true then i said his sweetheart meanin you beggin your pardon got up a row and made him jine the federals and promised never to go agin the flag and that's how he come to be nabbed up at fredericksburg i said twa'n't no use to try to make him swear for he thought more of his gal's good opinion than he did of liberty and i set you up till i swan if i believe you'd a known to yourself and every one of them fellers was ready to stand by you and two of em drinked your health with the wast whisky i ever tasted one of em asked me if i was a fair specimen of the northern army and i'll be darned if i didn't tell him no for i was ashamed to have em think the federals was all like me I guess, though, they liked me some-anyway, they let me carry something to the corporal every now and then, and I believe he'd die if I didn't. I've smuggled him in some paper and a pencil, and he is going to write to you, and I shall send it no matter how. The rebs won't see it, and I guess it's pretty sure to go safe. I must stop now and write to the old woman.--Yours to command, "William Baker, Esquire." It was with great difficulty that Annie could decipher the badly written scrawl but she made it out at last and then took jimmy's letter next shuddering as she saw it in marks of the horrors which bill had described but faintly and which were fully corroborated by jimmy himself my dear annie he wrote i do not know that this letter will ever reach you i have but little hope that it will still it is worth trying for and so here in this terrible place whose horrors no pen or tongue can adequately describe i am writing to you who i know think sometimes of the poor wretch starving and dying by inches in andersonville oh annie you can never know what i have suffered from hunger and thirst and exposure and filth which makes my very blood curdle and creep and from that weary homesickness which more than aught else kills the poor boys around me when i first came here i thought i could not endure it and though i knew i was not prepared i used to wish that i might die but a little drummer-boy from michigan who took to me from the first said his prayers one night beside me and the listening to him carried me back to you who i felt sure prayed for me each day and so hope came back again with a desire to live and see your dear face once more my little drummer-boy johnny was all the world to me and when he grew too sick to sit or stand i held his poor head in my lap And gave up my rations to him, for he was almost famished, and ate eagerly whatever was brought to us. We used to say the Lord's Prayer together every night when a certain star appeared, which he playfully called his mother, saying it was her eye watching over him. It was a childish fancy, but we grow childish here, and I too have given that star a name. I call it Annie, and I watch its coming as eagerly as did the little boy who died just as the star reached the zenith and was shining down upon him his head was in my lap and all there was left of my coat i made into a pillow for him and held him till he died his mother's address is michigan write to her annie and tell her how johnny died in the firm hope of meeting her again in heaven tell her he did not suffer much pain only a weakness which wasted his life away tell her the keepers were kind to him and brought him ice water several times tell her too of the star at which he gazed so long as he had strength it was all the companion i had after he was gone until bill baker came i shall never forget that day i had crawled up to my sandbank and drawn my rags around me and was beginning to wish again that i could die when a broad hand was laid upon my shoulder and a voice which was music to me then if it had never been before said to me cheerily hello old corporal such are the chances of war give us your fist but when he saw what a sorry jaded wretch i was his chin began to quiver and we cried together like two great babies as we were oh annie was it a lie bill baker told me or did you really send me your love and say that you meant it he told me such a story and i grew better in a moment have you relented and if i could ask you again the question i asked a year ago when we sat together beneath the moonlight would you tell me yes Darling Annie, Andersonville is not so terrible since I am kept up by that hope. I do not mind now if my shoes and stockings are all gone, and my trousers nearly so, and I watch for that star so eagerly, and make believe that it is you, and when the dark clouds obscure it, and the rain is falling upon my unsheltered head, I say that it is Annie's tears, and do not mind that either. I pray, too, Annie, pray with my heart, I hope, though my prayers have more to do with you than myself bill baker said he should write and tell you about his taking the oath which i believe he did almost solely for my sake and greatly have i been benefited by it rough as he is and disgusting at times he seems to have gained friends outside and he does us many a kindness confining his attentions mostly to me who am his especial care it is a strange providence that he who took me a prisoner at bull run and annoyed me so terribly should now be caring for me here at andersonville and literally keeping the life within me for i should die without him i have not written half i want to say but my paper is nearly used up and not one word have i said to mother or rose tell them they would not know me now and tell them too that in my dreams when i am not with you i am with them and mother's face is like an angel's while Rose's sparkling beauty makes my heart beat just as it used to beat when I first began to realize what a darling sister I had, dear Annie, you did send that message by Bill Baker. I will believe, and thus believing, shall gain strength, maybe to bear up until the day of release. Goodbye, my darling. From my crowded, filthy, terrible prison, I send you a loving good-bye notwithstanding the sickening details of this letter the day succeeding its receipt was a brighter one at the mather house than the inmates had known for a long time jimmy was still alive and with bill baker's care he might survive the horrors of andersonville and come back to them again annie showed both letters to mrs carleton who when she read them wound her arms around annie's neck and whispered is it wrong for me to be glad that bill baker told that lie when by the means our prisoner boy is so greatly benefited annie could not tell she was not sorry that jimmy should think of her as he did and that night when the stars came out in the sky she looked tearfully up at them wondering which was the one watched for by the childish young man and the little boy who died mrs Carlton had taken it for granted that if jimmy came back annie would be her daughter and she clung to her with a love and tenderness second only to what she felt for rose poor rose she had listened with some degree of interest to such portions of jimmy's letter as annie chose to read to her but it had no power to rouse her from the state of apathy into which she had fallen she never smiled now and rarely spoke except to answer a question but sat all day by the window in her own room and looked away to the southward where all her thoughts were centred it was very strange that nothing could be heard of her husband except that he was shot down dead a dozen corroborated that fact but his body had not been found on the field nor was any mention ever made of him in any official accounts once rose had been startled from her stupor by a soldier who pretended to have seen her husband in one of the southern prisons but a closer examination proved that the man was intoxicated and had told what he did in the hope that money might be given him for the intelligence and then rose sank back into her former condition the same hopeless look in her eyes which had been there from the moment she heard her husband's name among the killed and the same look of anguish upon her face which never relaxed a muscle as she watched indifferently the preparations made by her mother and annie for an event which under other circumstances would have stirred every pulsation of her heart but when on christmas morning the bell from st luke's was sending forth its joyous peal for the child born in bethlehem more than eighteen hundred years ago there came a softer more natural look to rose's eyes and her lip quivered a little as she said to annie who was bending over her what is that sound in the next room like the crying of a baby it is your baby rose born last night don't you remember it a beautiful little boy with his father's look in his eyes and jimmy's dimple in his chin annie hoped by mentioning both the father and jimmy to awaken some interest in the little mother whose eyes grew larger and rounder and brighter as she whispered my baby i can't understand it is all so strange and mysterious how came i with a baby annie bring it to me please they brought it to her and laid it in her arms and then stood watching her as the first tokens of the mother's love came over her face and crept into her eyes which gradually began to fill with tears until at last a storm of sobs and moans burst forth as rose rocked to and fro whispering to her child poor darling to be born without a father when he would have been so proud of his boy poor murdered will poor fatherless baby i am glad god gave you to me i did not deserve it i've been so thoughtless and wicked but i will be better now dear little baby we will grow good together so as to go some day where papa has gone she would not let them take the child from her it was hers she said god had sent it to make her better and she would have it there was something in the touch of its soft warm hands which kept her heart from breaking and so they left it with her and from the day that little life came to be one in the household rose began to amend and in her love for her child forgot in part the terrible pain in her heart once her mother said to her will you call your baby william and she replied no there is but one willie for me and he is in heaven baby will be called for brother jimmy and so one bright sunday morning in march when st luke's was decked with flowers from the mather house, and the children of the sunday school sang their easter carols rose mather in her widow's weeds went up the aisle with her mother annie and brother tom the latter of whom gave her bright-eyed beautiful boy to the rector who baptized him james carleton and all through the congregation there ran a thrill of pity for the widowed mother whose face though it had lost some of its brilliant colour was more beautiful than ever for there was shining all over it the light of a new joy the peace which comes from sins forgiven and after the baptism was over and the morning service read rose knelt with her mother brother and annie to receive for the first time the precious symbols of a saviour's dying love rose had ceased to oppose annie in her wish to join mrs sims who was then at annapolis and when tom a few days after the baptism went back again annie would go with him as a regular hospital nurse it might be that jimmy would be among the number of skeletons sent up to god's land as the poor fellows called it and annie's heart throbbed with the pleasure it would be to minister to him to call the life back to his heart To awaken an interest in him for olden times, and then perhaps whisper to him that the decision made that moonlight night more than a year and a half ago had been revoked, and where she had said no, her answer now was yes. Between herself and Mrs. Carlton, there had been a long talk of which Jimmy and the little Pequot girl were the subjects, and the proud lady had asked forgiveness for the wrong done to that girl, if wrong there were. Something tells me you will find my boy, she said and if you do tell him how freely i give him this little lulu and god bless you both a few weeks later and news came to the mather house that when the battle of the wilderness was over captain tom carleton was not with his handful of men who came from the field a prisoner of war was the next report and then as if her last hope had been taken from her mrs Carlton broke down entirely and secluding herself from the world without sat down in her desolation mourning and praying for her two boys One a prisoner in Andersonville, and one in Columbia. End of chapters 24 through 26